You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Hey guys, we'll get started here in just a second. I wanted Joe to uh, make a quick announcement about uh, the trip this weekend. Uh, yeah, so just, just catch Joe after and be a great time to get away from work. You know, a lot... Um, there was a friend of mine that I'm not going to say his name because you not for any reason, but you might have known him. Good friend of mine that uh, been several years ago died tragically on New Year's Day. It was gosh tragic, tragic. Um, going to work, and uh, it was one of those days where everything was iced over, and he was heading to work, slid off an overpass, and just uh, killed him immediately. Just he landed. Um, upside down, and um, but when we started just thinking about his life, he would always he was he had the best perspective on life. But he was funny about it, and he would always say, "Just remember, you know, work. You're never irreplaceable." He said they'll they'll have someone in line to replace you. Um, he would say it this way mainly before they're finished eating the food at the reception at your funeral they'll already have you replaced just make sure you invest in what matters Um, and this is the funny side note on that he always would say and I don't know we didn't sit around and talk about dying all the time because I don't want it to sound morbid he was just one of those guys that was like hey man when I die you know that kind of stuff well he would always say to me and to several of us because uh, he would say that. He would again say, man, don't pour your life into that because they'll, they'll be replacing you for your food. You know, he's eating at the reception. He'd say, by the way, when I die, I don't want no sadness. He said, what I want, because he always had, I was always on the verge of a heart problem. <laughs> Even though he was in great shape, he had to watch what he was eating. But he had a, he had a vice, man, and it was bluebell ice cream. And uh, so I would always catch him. I'd go, hey, man. He said, don't tell my wife. I'm eating this ice cream. And so he said, when I die, you know what I want? I want everybody to eat some bluebell ice cream. And so he never, you know, we never really kind of brought that up until he passed away. And we were meeting with the family and just grieving. And I was just joking about that. And the coolest, the coolest reception I've ever been to is at the end of that, we all said, you know what? In honor of this guy, Everybody's invited down to the fellowship hall, and we bought like a thousand pint-sized bluebell ice cream. And I don't care what your health condition is; come on down and eat some bluebell ice cream. <laughs> and um, just just don't let your life get consumed uh, with things that are important. Work's important, but uh, get away this weekend with a group of guys. Do a little work, interact. Man, the road trip of just just being a little bit disconnected and, and just visiting with a group of guys for six, seven hours would be worth a trip. So I encourage you to do that. Well, let's pray together and we will dive in this morning and see where we end up uh, on this uh, mystery of prayer study together. God, thank you for uh, these guys. I thank you for just the joy, encouragement I have to just be with them. And I know it's um, I just feel like we get to come together and wrestle through your word and um, for some reason I just don't feel the pressure 
with these guys at times that it feels like when I'm teaching or speaking and on Sunday. And uh, so I just thank you for their uh, encouragement, their their commitment to dig into the word, to, to be here at this hour of the day because they want to hear about uh, relationship with you and how they can grow in that. So I ask you to lead us today. You've been working in me these last 24 hours. And um, so I just ask you, God, to help by your spirit, would you make clear to me and to us what you're after uh, in this teaching uh, on how to relate, how to have conversation with you. Uh, So lead us as we study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We have your notes in front of you, and I just kind of warn you. I um, I was just going back over these notes yesterday, and I I'm hung up on the first one, so we might not eat, we might not get past the first one. I don't know what that means, other than keep your notes because you might that we might pick up the next ones next week, or I might have a new set of notes with these second and third ones. But I kept I just kept getting hung up in this first one, and I, when I hung up, I meant. I just, God kept taking me, well, what about this? Well, what about this? What about this? And, and more than anything, it burdened me to begin to dig into that. What do I believe Jesus is saying in this? And so I feel, I feel fairly confident this morning that what I'm wrestling with, and, and probably I'll have a hard time putting into the right words. So let me put a disclaimer out that anything questionable I say this morning, uh, just Write it down and ask me because I haven't had enough time to clarify some of the things I really feel like God began to, to bring up about this passage yesterday. I went and talked to a couple of staff guys and, and always, I'm always afraid when, you, and when you're teaching, there's a responsibility of making sure that you rightly divide the word of truth. And, and sometimes you, if it hadn't, we call, I used to call it like this, if, if the casserole isn't quite cooked, Sometimes you dig in the middle and there's some <laughs> spots that are still soft or whatever. And so I didn't want to go, oh, I'm going to say some stuff to you and I'm going to see what you think. Because I didn't want to say something in here about some of the challenges of prayer that could be misunderstood. So I would just encourage you, give me grace. And if, you, if I say something, you're like, well, whoa, whoa, well, email me. Because I'm still trying to clarify and say it in the right way with what I think God is challenging us with in prayer dilemmas. And, and what he's trying to teach through this passage in Luke 11. So, you know, last week we talked about, um, we picked up with this idea of the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. There was something unique um, about how they observed Jesus talking with the Father. And whatever they knew about prayer, it left them curious, hungry to really learn how to do that. So, so, um, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And we looked last week at two parallel passages, Luke 11 and Matthew 6, which were really different folks' account of uh, the same event. And so it's, it's, you know, some of them focus on one detail and bring out some nuances. But for the most part, that disciples' prayer, or what we call the Lord's prayer, is what we focused on last week, is Jesus kind of builds the foundation for what, what is prayer? What is it intended to be? And we talked last week about it centers around relationship, that prayer is this invitation to draw near to God in intimate friendship, but reverent respect. And we, we talked about that reality about our Father in heaven 
but who was also hallowed. He, uh, we talked about this idea of surrender that Jesus talks about, that somehow prayer is this, this surrendering of my life to, to God's will and purpose for me. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's this reality of dependence. It's expressing my dependence that he will and is the resource for my, for my every need. He knows exactly what I need. It's, it's centers around this idea of forgiveness. Somehow Jesus ties in this reality of living in relational forgiveness with God, but also living out relational forgiveness with other people that that somehow is a part of my prayer, my conversation with God, that every day I need to recognize forgiveness and my, his, his giving of that to me, but also my extending of that to other people. So he, he touches on this theme of forgiveness. And then fa- the last thing we talked about was guidance, that prayer centers around somehow daily or often throughout the course of my week, I come to God and, and petition him to lead me. Lead us not into temptation. God, we need your guidance in this journey to navigate this battle. We need your your loving leadership in our life. And so I think Jesus sets the foundation for, again, answering this question, teach us to pray. Okay, we'll pray in this way. He lays the foundation for what is prayer? But then he goes on in both of these um, passages to kind of just give, the best way I can describe it is he gives some clarifying comments and then he, he teaches a parable. He brings up a parable to try to illustrate what's going on uh, or, or what prayer, how we should approach God or what are motivations and expectations. That's the title of the notes this morning. He begins to just deal with various motivations and expectations. So I think this morning, turn to Luke chapter 11. We'll pick up in verse five where we left off in Luke chapter 11. And I, I think we'll just stay there this morning and we'll see how far we get in kind of, what I want us to do is take this parable and look at every angle of what it's saying and how Jesus applies it and then ask the question, if he's saying this in response to the question, Lord, teach us to pray, what is he trying to tell us about relationship with the Father in prayer? Okay, so that's, that's where it kind of got out of control yesterday in my office. I kept going, it was this. Okay, well, what about this? And what about this? So some of this, honestly, I'm, you know, I'm pulling it out of the oven a little early. So take it home and cook it and throw away what you don't like. Um, pick up in verse five and let's, we're gonna read five through eight. Just read the parable, talk about the parable. Then we'll process through 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 where he applies it and then he gives clarifying statements. So Luke chapter 11, verse five, Jesus said, he said to them, which of you has a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, leave me th- lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, or your, your copy may say persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus 
uses this parable, and again, parables are just context in which Jesus takes a common earthly story or experience that was common to the folks he was talking to, and he uses it to, a, to teach or apply or bring up spiritual truth. And so what he's talking about really is, is rooted in this first century cultural expectation. And I wanna give you two or three thoughts about that because I want you to know, I want you to, to have in mind what they had in mind as he tells this parable. First of all, I mean, food was obviously not readily available back then. There were no convenience stores at, you know, 24 hours a day. There was not a real long-term way to preserve most of the food. And so what happened most often, especially with the common provision of bread, is that they baked bread every day, right? That's kind of a reference in the other part of these verses where he says, give us this day our daily bread. But that was very common where I made what I needed for today. And so um, you, you might have some extra but in other words, there wasn't a play. You didn't just, couldn't just go over there and get something, especially in traveling. The second reality is this culture held in high regard hospitality. It's something that is still present today, but it's, it's a little bit foreign to us. In other words, it was almost seen as a duty. If anyone showed up at your door at any hour of the night, they were expected to be welcomed and cared for welcomed and cared for. If you're in some other context and cultures, that's true today. It almost feels a little uncomfortable for you, right? If you're on a trip and you go and visit a family and it almost seems like they, they clear out in, in everything they have, they bring before you. They make you the honored guest and it feels a little awkward. Like, like they're just, they're, they're so hospitable because it's not quite that much of reality in the society we live in in America. But it was very much in high regard. And again, in other words, the door was always open. The door was always open. There's a word in the New Testament, it it's kind of talks about it, it, the readiness, but it means the latch is always unlocked, right? I never go in and lock the world out. I'm always in a posture of readiness to, to receive and welcome a person on journey. And so that, that was a reality. So when Jesus tells the story, they all know, oh yeah, yeah, someone comes, to, that may have been a common occurrence, but you know for sure, yeah, they need something and you need to provide it. And then the third reality is pretty obvious and practical. Ancient homes, for the most part, had one room, right? Everyone was kind of in the same room. You ate in there, you visited in there, you slept in there. And so there is this practical reality of when someone comes knocking on your door in the middle of the night, there's a risk of um, waking up the whole family to have to, I mean, if you're over there stumbling, digging for some things to give them, it's obviously gonna cause some uproar, okay? So with these things in mind, Jesus begins to talk about this very common situation that would have happened in the lives of the disciples. And so I want you to see it as, you know, when someone comes to your house, whatever hour, and they, they knock on the door because they're on a journey and they don't have anything with them. And so they're coming to you like we often will with each other and say, hey, I have a need. And obviously you see that and you need to meet that need. He's telling this story that way. And so he goes on to say, which one of you then, he's not, I'm gonna talk more about that in a second, but this is a parable of contrast. Oftentimes Jesus will give examples in their, their parables of comparison. In other words, this is what it should be like. This is what God is like. But then sometimes he gives examples 
of exactly the opposite of what it should be. Does that make sense? This is a parable of contrast, okay? And so he says, which of you, when you have this situation happen, would go to a friend because you have nothing to set before this, this person on the journey, you go to a friend and it's midnight, you knock on the door and he knows as well as everyone else, this is an expectation, man, we need to meet this need. But when you knock on the door and you ask him for three loaves, which for the most part was provision for the day, bread for the day, would say to you, don't bother me. Stop bugging me. Listen, dude, everybody's asleep. Uh, my, my kids are asleep. And I had this funny thought when I was thinking about this, if, especially if you've, you have kids or if you had young kids before. Right? Like, and if you have young kids that were fussy, right? We, our girls, my, my, youngest, my oldest daughter has severe colic. I mean like, like screaming bloody murder from 8.30 at night. It's just, just, just cringe, bloody murder, just colic t- till seven in the morning. We did that for eight weeks. We'd go to the doctor and we'd say, she's got caught. And, and initially, if you're, you're a doctor, don't be offended. But you know, they see that all the time. And so they were like, it's your first. he thought it's your first kid. You're overprotective. Every kid cries. I'm like, surely every kid doesn't do this. I'm like, she's like writhing in pain. He's like, she's a little colicky. Just give her like I don't, some kind of simple, just try this, you know. And, and, and so she endured that for eight weeks until he finally got the point. And it was funny, a couple of drops in her milk from that and she never had that again. I wanted to, I wanted to lay hands on him. Anyway, but if you've gone through that with a child, I mean, I would do things in the middle of the night like that, that I would that are kind of crazy. Like she would be okay as long as she was like bouncing somehow. (laughs) I could go to sleep on the corner of the bed going like this. And I would stop. She'd be like, "Ah." and so I would pray for the Holy Spirit. I mean, I I had my theology was challenged. Like, Holy Spirit, I know that you can come down and make her tummy feel better. Please, I mean, I will go anywhere if you would. I mean, so when you go through that and you finally get your child to sleep, and someone wakes up your child. I can remember when we lived in Dallas and that, really, that situation happened. I considered assaulting a neighbor who came and banged on the door for a random question and woke our child up after we'd been up all night. So, so it, the reality is it's inconvenient. He comes to him and he says, listen, everybody's already tucked in. It's just, it's just inconvenient for you to come to me at midnight And then Jesus says this key verse again. Let's read verse eight. This is the essential kind of gateway into what he's trying to teach us about Lord teach us to pray in the heart of the Father. Again, in verse eight, he says, I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus is making clear, when this guy actually responds to his friend's request, it has nothing to do with the reality that we're friends. It simply has to do with the fact that this guy has banged on his door and had the audacity 
to, to barge in and ask him for something, okay? And so the key thing to begin to understand this passage is, I think, is this word impudence or persistence. And so I wanna talk to you just for a second about that specific word. This word, again, I don't, it may be persistent. I don't know what other translations may say or call that word. This word is used no other place in the entire scripture. It's only used here. It's the only occurrence of this word. And so why that's challenging sometimes is that it's difficult sometimes to get the heart and the content of what, that, what the translation of this word would mean. Um, and so sometimes what you would do is, is look other places in the scripture and say, where else in context is this word used? And it gives you more understanding about the intention and meaning of that word, especially in this original language, but it's never used anywhere else. Um, and so uh, some, and this is where I wanna kind of chase a rabbit for a second. For so many years in my own life, I had always understood this passage because of the translation in most uh, scripture translations of using the word persistent. I always thought it meant what happened was because he just kept on knocking and kept on bugging. He was relentless. Finally, the guy's like, geez, okay, I'll get the bread. But when you begin to actually study that, that's not the intent of this word. When I think about persistence, I just looked up the definition of persistence. Here's the kind of things you think about. It's this repeated attempt to convince, right? He was so persistent. Finally, I gave in. Uh, this pressing until someone kind of gets what he hopes for. It paints the picture of just, just chipping away at this barrier in front so you can finally pass through. But that is not the intent of this passage, in fact, it's not even the understanding of this word. Um, and so I want to talk for a second about what I felt like God was, was pressing in in my own heart was this unsettledness at times I have with seeing God as this person who needs to be convinced of my need. Again, Jesus is saying here, he's, he's giving you a picture, and we're gonna go to another passage in a second probably that, that deals with this issue of persistence. Um, but you have to be careful in understanding what he means by he gave into his persistence because you can get some misconceptions about the heart of the Father as if he doesn't, he's not really attentive to your needs unless you relentlessly nag him. And finally, he listens to you, okay? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. If you kind of go into, if you go and study in just the, the Bible study world, you'll find Bible studies on persistent prayer. And, and again, this is my, this is me like, act like I don't even, I'm not even a part of Stonegate. They're not to blame for anything I'm gonna say here. Um, this is where I think that, that there's so much misconception taught about persistent prayer. Um, that God intends for us, um, that there's this kind of weird interplay with God knowing what we need but somehow ignoring us so A, we can show him how serious we are. Likewise, he just holds the carrot long enough in front of us and we jump and wave and jump and beg and beg and finally he's like, they're serious. Okay, you can have it. 
I'm like, what picture does that paint about the heart of the Father? That is not the picture Jesus is painting here. That somehow you, you can't get God's attention unless you just, you just ram the gates of heaven forever and ever and ever. And then you get as many people as you can to ram the gates of heaven with you, right? But that's somehow the perception we get about prayer. And, and what it does is it paints the picture of a father. It paints the picture of the exact thing Jesus is saying God is not. This, this grumpy neighbor who is just bothered by your Request, like what in the crap are you waking me up at midnight for? Don't you see I have so many other things that are important? But because you just won't go away, I guess I'll give you what you want. Okay, Jesus is saying that is so exactly opposite of the intention of prayer in how you need to relate to my father. Okay, And so I'll get more into that in just a second. And so this idea of impudence is actually, when you look at, you know, all you can go to is ancient Greek literature, other uses of this word throughout history. And when you begin to see this word, it's always used and translated this way. It means a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. A lack of modesty to some degree. Okay, that's a totally different, perspective, right? It it almost carries the idea of shamelessness, but in a good way. And what I mean by that is it would be this idea of, if you think about the lack of modesty and how that relates to this, it's this sense of, I just come with the audacity of believing my father can do anything. So if I was viewing you asking God something, you know, kind of like metaphorically knocking on the door at midnight, it would be like me going, I, can you believe he had the audacity to ask God that? You don't just walk in here and just, I don't know. You don't just walk in here and without this kind of level of just asking God for anything, but there's the innocence of it. As a child to his father coming and believing, my God, my father can do anything. Let's go ask my dad. Let's just walk into the room and ask my dad because he can do anything. Man, my, my dad can, he can conquer the world. That's what he's talking about. So it changes the intent of the passage when you realize Jesus is not going because of his persistence, he finally gave in. He's talking about boldness, his unashamed boldness. What would make, a thi- what would make this guy think, I know what we can do. We can go next door. Man, my, my friend next door, he's got more than enough. What to admit, oh, it doesn't matter what time it is. Let's just go knock on the door. This innocent boldness of going, I can't believe you even woke me up. What, what are you thinking? And so Jesus is saying, when you pray, he walks through the first parts of those verses. Then he, then he says, let me illustrate what prayer is intended to be by giving you a parable of contrast. Sometimes you may feel in prayer as if God is that grumpy neighbor that does not want to be bothered with your needs. You may think, well, it's just minimal. 
I don't want to ask God. I don't want to bother God. I don't want to. Surely he could not be concerned about this thing in my life. And so I just don't want to ask him. But what Jesus is saying is, man, you've misunderstood the heart of the father. That's an example that gives you the contrast of that is not who God is. So Jesus is saying, no, when you pray, come persistently. But he's not saying come naggingly. And we'll talk again more about the difference in that in a second. He's saying come boldly and unashamedly and bring your every desire, hope, burden, concern before a God who is so attentive and so willing to bend his ear to your need. Come boldly. Ask God for anything. That's what he's saying in this passage. Here's why. Let's keep going. Because why? when he begins in the next verse, what he do? He's applying and kind of translating this parable. So pick back up in verse 10 or verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open to you. And so what he's doing is saying, what do I mean by this? I mean, don't ever think that God, in, this is how God should be approached, that you're, you're living in fear of bothering him with your, with your concerns. No, no, ask him, seek him, knock on the door. At whatever hour of the night, God is there in welcoming your needs. He's welcomed your petitions. He welcomes your request. And what he's trying to say is, you don't have because you don't ask. And, and so he's trying to give us this reality by saying, God is not the, the neighbor who is hacked and bugged that you woke him up. God is not the neighbor who's appalled that you would have the audacity to so boldly and unashamedly bring this before him. God does not respond or relent to our prayers because of our persistence or our impudence, our bugging and nagging. God welcomes our, our request because he's our father. He's trying, Jesus is trying to say, as you pray, remember, you're talking to your father. Um, so I hope that begins to make sense. So the, there, what, what I want to kind of pick back up a little bit on is this idea of persistent prayer. Um, because I, this is where I went to the guys in the office yesterday and said, I think I, I could be really wrong on this. And so I'm going to talk to you about what I feel like God is challenging me and wanting me to challenge you guys is to make sure you understand what the scripture says about then, why do I keep on asking, right? Because the real, probably the real question or the prayer dilemma is, when God doesn't answer my request, what do I do? Do I keep on asking, okay? And it spurs probably a number of prayer dilemmas like, why shouldn't, I mean, why do you ask more than once? I mean, like, isn't, I'm like, why don't you just ask once? Because okay, there is content in scripture that talks about that, that people continue to ask. Paul asked three times. Jesus asked three times in the garden, take this from me. 
Okay, so there's, there, there's, there's instances of that, but you never really see in scripture this challenge to repetitively and continuously ask for the same thing. Doesn't mean you just ask once. So figure out where that balance is because over in Matthew 6, it challenges this reality, Matthew 6, 7, and 8 that we will get to eventually. It's this idea of repetitive babbling. I keep asking the same thing over and over and over because I believe somehow in my asking that God somehow will relent, that I'm trying to break him down. And so when you, when you look at this reality of continual or persistent prayer, here's some wrong realities. If you think persistent prayer somehow convinces God, you have a, a, a misunderstanding, an unbiblical understanding of prayer. God is not convinced by our persistence. Secondly, if you think it is, it's this pathway to gain God's attention, you're misunderstanding this, this call to continually bring your request before God. Because sometimes it can be applied or it can be taught that, that again, like I said earlier, that God kind of waits up there to see how serious we are. What a, what a crazy perspective of the heart of God. Does God not know everything? Does God not know the thoughts and intentions of my heart? He knows if, this is ser- if I'm serious, if this is burdening me. So this idea that somehow he withholds a, an answer because he's just waiting to see how much I want it. That, that just blows me away. That, um, and so I, my, my opinion is that is a misconception about prayer in the heart of God. Third, if you see persistent prayer as this pathway of gaining God's attention. So th- that you feel like somehow he's not quite attentive and alert, but if you can just get, like he just knocked long enough, he's like, wait, what is, I, I didn't, what is that? Is there someone knocking? Or if you get a bunch of people that somehow it, 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 it gains God's attention, that is a misunderstanding of prayer. Because the scripture says he inclines his ear to us. You already have the ear of the father. You don't have to work for his attention. You don't have to beg and plead for his attention. And so if, persist, if by persistent prayer, that's how you've often understood it, which at times parts of those I have, that's what I'm challenging. Now, right understanding of persistence or continually bringing something before God is that I continue to bring and surrender my needs to the one who knows me, loves me, and cares about it. So every time I have this need and concern, I just go back and say, God, I'm laying this down. I can't stop thinking about it, but I know you know about it. So this is actually just an act of surrender. So I keep praying about my kids, right? You can just fill that in. Whatever thing you're just burdened, it it would change. God welcomes you. Come a thousand times, but come for the right reason. Come because you're going, God, today, again, I'm I'm just knotted up about this. So I'm I'm coming back to you and you know it, but it's a surrender to me. That, that's the persistence that's, that's truthful and biblical. That, that it's a surrender not only of that burden, but it's also a sense of letting go of control of that to God. God, today I'm coming back with this because I keep wanting to take it up. So I'm, so I'm just kind of laying it back down and going, you, you are in control of this. It's yours. It's a surrender of my heart to his leadership. Um, and so that's, That's a biblical understanding of persistent prayer 
It's not this sense that we somehow can convince God. Um, look over in Luke chapter 18 real quick. Because this is, this is generally the most often used passage probably misapplied about this idea of persistence. And let me just say this. I don't know what your copy of the scripture says. Right above chapter 18, do you have a title? Okay, remember, like parable of what? Okay, those aren't inspired, right? <laughs> just remember that. <laughs> that's just someone's, that's an editor's titling of that. That's not, that's not inspired. In other words, sometimes we let some of that cloud our, 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 our understanding of the past. We go, oh, this is about persistence or persistence. Just be careful sometimes because sometimes it can just be, it really, the passage may go a little different direction. Let the scripture teach you. So chapter 18, it, Jesus tells another parable. He says, and he told them a parable to, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Okay, that's his intention. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not, listen to these words, so she will not beat me down. She's giving him a beat down, right? She will not beat me down by her continued coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give them justice. Listen, speedily. Sometimes people teach this passage and say that's, a te that's teaching persistent prayer. No, it's not. It's teaching the exact opposite. If you come to God as if he's an unrighteous judge that you have to plead your case to and somehow when you convince him and beat him down enough, he will relent and respond to your request. You have misunderstood God. And so Jesus again uses a parable of contrast and says, God is nothing like that. Here is what God is like. Surely he will hear you immediately and he will respond he doesn't need your continued beatdown. And, and so I, I don't know why I feel so passionate to hammer this home. I just feel like there's probably some of you who felt like I have felt over the years that I just can't understand or I've been taught that I just need to, if God somehow, I could only get him to respond to me and listen to me if I, this is just persistent, relentless show of how serious I am and, and, and how much I want this. But it, it just feels like a son trying so desperately to get his father's attention. I gotta go such great lengths for my dad, A, to even notice me. And second, to care about the things that burden me. Has nothing to do with how he's gonna respond. He may not give me what I want, but he's always gonna give me what I need. That's another day and another teaching. It's simply saying, I want you to see that Jesus is saying, draw near to this father. And this is what he's like. He is a God who welcomes 
at any hour of the day, at any moment, any request and concern, bring those before him. Be anxious for nothing, Paul says, but in everything, let your request be made known to God. Is that, am I beaten? So is the horse dead? Okay. I hope that, I don't even know why it was so passionate to me. So, so again, so the important differentiation here is Jesus is saying, come boldly and unashamedly with your needs before God. And like we said in, in verse nine and 10, he says, because he's saying, some of you are afraid to ask because you don't understand the heart of the Father. So ask, seek, knock. And then in verse 11 and 12, he clarifies the last part of this parable. Oh, back, back in Luke 11, sorry, I was about to read the wrong verse. <clears throat> so Luke 11, verse 11, he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now there's a, in Matthew, when you read that same, that last verse, that last statement, it says give good gifts, just a subtle change. How much more will the father give good gifts, but in this, in this Luke passage, he says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So what is this final clarifying statement about this? Again, it's not about, will he give you what you ask for every time? No, he won't. He'll give you what you need. So what he's saying is, if you trust in the heart of the father, know that he loves you and cares for you, ask, lay any burden or concern before him, because he, he cares. But know this, what father, when his son asks for an egg, he's not saying, he's not comparing. If you ask for one thing, he gives you another thing because all of these are hurtful things, okay? He says, well, if he asks for a fish, he gives him a serpent. If he asks for an egg, he gives him a scorpion. What he's saying is, when you come before the father and lay your every need and concern, what you entrust to God is that he knows exactly what you need regardless of what you want, okay? Because sometimes I'm actually asking for things that are not good for me. But what I can be content, I can be confident in that I'm entrusting this initial need to God that he knows exactly what's best for me. And it's interesting in this passage that, that Luke says, what often is best for me is the presence of God rather than some circumstantial answer. And so sometimes we look for a circumstantial change when God has answered this request by giving us a spirit. He's, he's with us. In other words, God, I, this is what I'm burdened about this. And he says, yes, and what you need most is to know I'm right here with you and we're gonna walk through this. But we want it to change or go away. But he's saying it's entrusting that need to the father because I know he knows what I need most and he will always give that. So my final um, thought is this fill in the blank. We finally get to that. So here's this kind of statement about prayer. Prayer is not this relentless and persistent 
act of begging God to do something he doesn't want to do. Prayer is not this relentless and persistent act of begging God to do something that he does not want to do. It is the confident entrusting, the confident entrusting of our needs to a father who cares for us and knows what we need the most. That's what prayer is. That's what Jesus, that's that's the aspect of this parable that Jesus is teaching. He's teaching me about the heart of the father. I don't have to convince God. I don't have to plead my case before God. I don't have to, to jump up and down to get him to look my direction and to listen and be attentive. I, I don't have to, to do religious activity and penance to try to, to earn the right for God to hear me. Rather, I can be confident and I can come boldly to God because here's what I know about his heart. He's my dad. So to this kid would ask boldly and unashamedly, and we would go, I can't believe you asked that. And he's like, why wouldn't I ask that? He's my dad. It's my, it's my father. He, why wouldn't I come and ask him? He's the first person I think of. So we can come boldly and confidently, but it is also an act of entrusting, relinquishing, releasing, laying down those burdens and requests before God Because for the most part, I don't always even know what I need in response to this burden on my heart. So it's almost like coming to your father and going, Dad, I I don't even really know what to do with this. I just want to tell you about it. So worried about this. So worried about whatever it might be. I'm worried about my kids. I don't, I got a thousand things going through my head. Did I just suck it up as a dad? Did I... Am I missing? I don't even know exactly what I need, but I'm bringing the burden before you and I'm entrusting you to to, to give me what I need, to lead me in this. Um, And I never hesitate to bring anything, any concern before God. None. I come boldly. Talk to him about anything. That's the intent of this parable Jesus teaches when he talks about motivations and expectations. Probably next week we'll pick up, I'm trying to just deal with the majority of statements around these two passages before we move on to some more specific questions about prayer. Um, And so most likely keep these notes with you and we'll either pick up Matthew 6, 5 through 6, 7 and 8 as the first part of next week and then I'll bring another set of notes that's whatever the rest we're gonna talk about next week. So do that so that you can have these next two statements that we'll pick up for next week, okay? Let me pray with you guys and thanks for enduring to the soapbox this morning. God, I, I, I pray again that all I can do is know that you burdened me about this and, and just talk out of that. I may be the only one, God, in this room that wrestles at times with, with doubting your heart toward me. Doubting that if I have burdens and concerns in my heart, the doubt that, that you care about those. And honestly, God, it keeps me from asking, it keeps me from just talking to you about the burdens and concerns in my heart. Maybe, God, because I think I've always felt like life was up to me and I needed to do it on my own and I just needed to suck it up and figure it out and, 
Instead of coming to a father who lovingly cares and is ready to lead and guide and intervene in my life. But I pray for the guy here this morning that has so misunderstood your heart toward him that that maybe this morning they would see you as father. A father whose ear is bent toward their, their concern, their heart, their life. A father who is so welcoming of relationship, so ready to hear. And a father they can trust to meet their every need. The father they can entrust to even help them understand what they need most when what we want is not what we really need. We trust you, God, because you're good. Because you give good gifts. What father would give bad things? That's not you, God. You give good gifts to your children. And so I pray that those guys that that maybe find themselves there would walk away this morning confident in the love of a father in the invitation to talk with him. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. See you guys next week.